Well, good morning. It is so fun to be here and so fun to um, be able to preach the word this morning. And greetings to many in our Journey family who are not in this room, but maybe watching from the beach or on your way to a lake or river this morning, or who may be in a different country or a different state. Um, We hope that you are enjoying some summer rhythms and we love you from afar. So this morning, we are going to jump right in, and as you know, if you have been here um, for the last two months now, we have been in a part of scripture in John's gospel called the Farewell Discourse. This is Jesus's final teaching time with his followers. He is sitting around the table at the Last Supper, and this is an important message that Jesus has to give to his followers, this final message. And so we're going to jump in. I'm going to read you the passage, and then um, we'll backtrack a little bit, and then we'll get into some of what this particular passage says for us today. If you would, Please stand as we hear the reading of scripture. John 16, verse 16 to 33. A little while, and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Then some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying to us a little while and you will no longer see me and again a little while and you will see me and because I am going to the father. They said, what does he mean by this a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, are you discussing among yourselves what I meant when I said a little while and you will no longer see me and again a little while and you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will have pain, but your pain will turn into joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when her child is born, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy of having brought a human being into the world. So you have pain now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. On that day, you will ask nothing of me. Very truly, I tell you, if you ask anything of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but will tell you plainly of the Father. On that day, you will ask in my name. I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, 
I'm leaving the world and am going to the Father. His disciples said, yes, now you are speaking plainly, not in any figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need to have anyone question you. By this, we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? The hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each one of you to his home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have said this to you so that you may have peace. In the world you face persecution, but take courage. I have conquered the world. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now let's uh, open in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word We thank you um, for this conversation that Jesus had with the disciples. God, we pray that you would be our teacher this morning. Just as you taught around that table that night, we pray that you will be our teacher here this morning, these years later. God, we pray that you will give us the courage that you gave to your disciples. And so, Lord... We pray that you will be blessed and glorified this morning. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Okay. So, this passage, the farewell discourse, that was a long passage that we read. Thank you um, for standing with me um, in, as I did that reading. I know it's a long one. So, the farewell discourse is just a little recap here. John's gospel um, includes like this final sermon of Jesus. He wouldn't have considered it a sermon probably, but this is like his last, his last big message. And if you think of Matthew's gospel, where like the first message that Jesus preached is the Sermon on the Mount, this like this beginning sermon This is Jesus's last one. So the things that he says are gonna be of critical importance. For 19 years, I've worked in Christian higher education, and there is, and for five different universities, and there's been often this tradition where if a professor is retiring, or maybe leaving, um, or maybe a president is leaving, there's often this last lecture moment. This moment where they get to kind of have like one last moment to speak to the community. And often what they put there are like the things that are most important, the things that they really want to convey, the things that feel like, if you remember nothing, remember this. And that's how the farewell discourse is. So we need to pay really close attention, as we have been for the the last two months, because we've been going through this all of May and all of June, we need to pay close attention to what are the things that Jesus is going to say in his final moments as he's sitting around the table with these beloved followers. It's kind of like in a similar, um, in a similar vein, these students have been students of Jesus for three years. They have followed him everywhere. They have been his students. They have been learning his ways. And this is the last moment for them to glean everything that they can from their professor, from their teacher, before they have to go out and do it on their own. So this is that last moment before, uh uh-oh, they're going to need to make sure they actually know this stuff. So what has Jesus said 
in this farewell discourse? What are the things that Jesus is bringing to light? Well, Jesus offers this last message in the context of a meal, which would have been unusual. That is an unusual place for a final powerful message. But this is the context that Jesus has chosen around the celebration of Passover, around the celebration of God's faithfulness to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery. It is in this context where they are celebrating who God is that Jesus gives this parting word. And before he says anything, what he does is he serves them. He walks around to each of his beloved friends and he washes their feet. It should not be missed. These are not words, these are actions. Jesus starts with the action of serving his friends. We need to internalize this. As we followers years later are trying to figure out how to be like Jesus, the very first thing Jesus does is to serve. The next thing that Jesus does is he introduces this new commandment, love one another. And what he says is, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another by this, by this love, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is really important for the people of God to hear in every generation that the thing that defines, the thing that describes, the thing that explains who we are as followers of Jesus is our love. Not our thoughts, not our doctrine, not our church services, not our programs. It is our love. This is how they will know you are following me by your deep love. And he goes on and he says to them, as Gabby Viesca taught us, abide in me. This image of the true vine, Israel had been described as the vine. And now Jesus is saying the true vine. I am the true vine. I am the true vine. I am the new Israel. This is a new beginning. This is a very big moment. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. And bear fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. They will know you are my disciples because you love. And the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. They will know you are my disciples because of your joy, because of the peace, because of your patience, your kindness, your goodness, your faithfulness. Your gentleness, your self-control. These are the things, these are the ways they will know you are my disciples because you abide in my love, because you are bearing fruit, because you love one another, because you serve. This is how they're going to know that you are my followers. He tells them in this final meeting, in this final dinner, you're going to have trouble. There's going to be trouble. That doesn't mean I don't exist Trouble does not mean that God does not exist. Trouble you can count on. The world is not going to understand you. 
they are going to be put off by your different way of being. Competition, power, a struggle for power, that is the way of the world. But our way is the way of gentleness, of kindness, of love, of service. And when giving away power gets you into trouble, you have an advocate. The Holy Spirit is being left behind for you. So this is what Jesus is saying in his last lecture. These are powerful words, powerful words that they've lived out together for the last three years. And what are the disciples hearing? Well, they're sitting around the table. I mean, maybe they're listening really well. But I have this moment, as I listen to our passage, I have this moment of, of um, thinking that they're probably just kind of maybe chatting to each other. They're whispering. Because what they say says, wait, did Jesus just say that he was going somewhere? <laughs> like, Jesus has said all of this important stuff. Love one another. Serve one another. Abide in my love for you. You're going to have trouble. Don't worry. I'm coming back. And they're like, did Jesus say he was going somewhere? <laughs> I mean, that's how it feels. As you read through this text, as you read through 13 through 17 straight together, it feels like the disciples are like, wait, what's happening here? What's happening? So, um, one of the things that is um, going on in my own life personally is I've recently um, left my role at George Fox University. I have served there for the last eight years. That's the most recent Christian college I've been at. I've been the dean for spiritual life and the lead university pastor, and I have loved being at George Fox. And I have sensed a stirring in me, like there is something that God wants to do with me. And before that... I need to take a sabbatical. And sabbaticals are not built into every position in universities, and mine was one that it wasn't built into, but I, I sense God asking me to step into a period for prayer and rest and family before something. And I don't know what that something is, but so I've stepped away from my role recently, um, and actually it's really interesting because in the same way that Pastor Scott is on sabbatical, I'm noticing pastors across the country taking sabbaticals right now. Like, what is God doing? Like, moving many of our pastors into a season of prayer and rest. That feels important. That feels important. And so, um, so as I see this passage that we're in, there's a part of me that resonates with what's going on here, because in my own departure from Fox, from this work that I care so deeply about, like, I'm sitting in these final meetings with colleagues, and I'm like, okay, here's what you need to know. Here's where the proposal is. We're at this place. You need to keep pressing on this thing so this happens, so the work continues. You need to make sure to remember to buy these things at this particular time so that the office is stocked in this way. You need to make sure that, you know, here's where the accounts are. Here's where, you know, and so I'm like, the work must continue. Here's all the things that you need to know. And people are like, wait, where are you going? And I'm like, no, 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 that doesn't matter. What you need to know is the work must continue. The work must continue. Here, here are the things that you need to know so the work can continue. And so there's this part as we look at today's passage where I think what Jesus is trying to say to his followers is he wants the work to continue. He knows he's going somewhere. But the main point is not where he's going. The main point is that he's asking them to carry on the work. And so our passage today, we have a few key things. Oh, wait, but first I want to tell you, um, <laughs> you know, in this image of like, 
the students who have been learning from Jesus and here he gives this gorgeous message of like, here, here are the things that are important to me. And they're like, wait, is it going somewhere? They are going to have these moments of immediately being kind of thrown out there and have, have their practice of Jesus's ways tested. And this, one of the first ones that we see, like two hours after the farewell discourse, Peter is standing in the garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. Jesus is praying. And as we know, Judas has betrayed Jesus. He has, he has sold, um, he sold information about Jesus. And so the soldiers come and what does Peter do? He grabs his sword. <laughs> Jesus is like, I said love. I said love. <laughs> and, and so if you look at behind me, verse 10, then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Verse 11, Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Like, okay, we just went through this with the, you know, with triumphal entry. Like, I'm not coming to overthrow Rome. I'm coming to introduce a new kingdom. A kingdom that, that bears the fruit of the Spirit. A kingdom that is about patience and kindness and gentleness and giving power away. I'm not coming to overtake and to grab the sword. Like, that's not Jesus' way. And already Peter, like, two hours after the, you know, this is his final exam. Two hours after the last lecture, he's, like, already forgotten it. <laughs> I, I just love that. Um, so, today's passage, the end of the farewell discourse, and in truth, the very end of the farewell discourse is chapter 17, which we'll do in the fall. Um, we're going to take a break this summer and, um, and be in the Psalms, and we'll come back to chapter 17. And chapter 17 is Jesus' prayer. It's a whole chapter of Jesus praying for his followers. But so these are the last words. Um, and as you know, like it starts off, with the disciples just saying like, wait a second, what is Jesus talking about? We do not understand what Jesus is talking about. Is he going somewhere? We don't get it. And so Jesus jumps back in and he responds to them and he tries to address this with them. Because finally they're paying attention. Finally, at, at chapter 16, he's been talking since 13, Finally, at 16, they're like, wait, is something happening? So he tells this metaphor. And I've spoken a lot. Last, um, last week, Steve Winterberg did an amazing job preaching um, about the farewell discourse. And so he and I have been talking about the farewell discourse for the last, oh, I don't know, about maybe about the last month, um, things that we were learning and sharing books and that kind of stuff. Um, but one of the things that, um, that I said to him weeks ago, this stood out to me like the one thing that is in my passage in the farewell discourse that's not in any other part of the farewell discourse is this particular metaphor of this woman who is giving birth to a child. And it stood out to me because I'm thinking, okay, so often in scripture, there's, Jesus is going to speak to what the people know. He is going to talk about fishing to fishermen. He is going to talk about farming to farmers. But this metaphor that I'm going to read to you, when a woman is in, when a woman is in labor, 
she has pain because her hour has come. But when her child is born, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy of having brought a human being into the world. This stands out to me. It stands out to me because this is the world of women. Jesus is centralizing the experience of women right here. And Jesus does this all throughout his ministry. I mean, Jesus, Jesus does so much to centralize women, to honor women, to include women. He has women followers who actually pay for his journeys. Um, but this, right here in the farewell discourse, does this mean he had female listeners in the room? Is he centralizing their experience? And it's striking because right now, we live in a context where I think we have been accustomed to, um, to strong maternal medical care. We're not used to um, a lot of maternal deaths. But that would, that's not the case for most of the world, and that was not the case at this time. And men would not have been a part of the labor and delivery process. Um, so it's actually a really interesting metaphor that Jesus uses here in his farewell discourse, this very female experience. And when he says, you know, that this woman is in labor, she has pain, she, and she has anguish, Anytime someone was having a baby in those days, they were, they were looking death right in the face. How many, how many deliveries now are C-section? Those babies wouldn't have been able to be born. I, I have had, personal information, I have had three C-sections. My babies, I, I don't know. I don't know what would have happened to me or to my babies. Childbirth for many women throughout history is a very dangerous, terrifying thing. It may mean that they die. So this example right here strikes me as interesting. It strikes me as interesting particularly that this passage falls during a week where our country is thinking a lot about childbirth and female experience. What is there for us as followers of Jesus to learn from Jesus' teaching as Jesus centralizes the story and experience of women? She will have joy. The baby will be born. This story of labor will not end in death, but in joy. There will be anguish, but joy is coming. Which leads me to like this second moment of like how the followers of Jesus respond to Jesus' teaching here in the farewell discourse when they're tested, when these students actually need to remember what Jesus has said. So the next example I think of is this one in John 20. But Mary, this is Mary Magdalene, stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, 
They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus has just said, I'm going away, I'm going away, I'm going away, I'm coming back, I promise, I'm coming back, I'm coming back. But here now, Mary, you know, Peter, he just cut off the ear of the guy. Mary, she doesn't remember. Jesus has said, I'm coming back, I'm coming back. And she, she doesn't even know that she's in the presence of Jesus. Mary was there, as were a whole crowd of women, each of the Gospels tell us. Everybody else had fled, but they watched Jesus be crucified, and they went with his body to the tomb. And then because of the Sabbath, they came back to the tomb. And here, Mary Magdalene is, but she doesn't remember what Jesus had said in this farewell discourse. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not touch me because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Oh, the trust that our God has in these women. In a culture where women were not listened to, God entrusts the most amazing message to this woman. God listens to women. God trusts women. Do we, as his followers, follow this example? Mary, the proclaimer of the good news. She did not remember his words. And then things became clear. There was the weeping. There was the anguish. There was all of the horror that Jesus had proclaimed would happen. But it turned to joy because Jesus is alive. Because Jesus is alive. And Jesus says, back to our passage in John 16, he says, he gives them this, this glimpse that the Holy Spirit is going to come and you're going to be able to do things in my name that you've never done before. And I've added this, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> because in Acts 1, Jesus says, but you, he says this as he's about to ascend into heaven. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And what we see is Peter, Peter, he has this power that is, that is, um, he's filled with, where he walks by crowds of people and they just want his shadow to fall on them because even just his shadow means that people are healed. 
Peter is called to the home of an amazing leader in the church, a woman who was right on the edge of Greek and Jewish society. She has two names because she's known in two communities for the way that she served widows. She was a seamstress, a wealthy woman who clothed the hungry, the needy. She took care of those in need. In the way of Jesus, her name was Tabitha and Dorcas, and she died. And the people of God were beside themselves. They called Peter to come and be with them in their grief. And Peter follows the way of Jesus, and with the Holy Spirit inside of him, he says what he had seen Jesus do. He says, wake up. And she does. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, brings this church leader back to life. This woman who meant so much to her community, who was walking in the way of Jesus, who was providing for the poor, is alive again because of the Holy Spirit that was left behind for the disciples. So Jesus is saying in this final dinner, this final Last Supper, he's saying, it's going to be amazing. I mean, it's going to be awful, and then it's going to be joyful, and then the Holy Spirit's going to come, and it's going to be amazing. And Acts is filled with these stories of the disciples, the followers of Jesus walking throughout the ancient Near East. Just miracles, miracles, miracles because of the Holy Spirit through them. One of the things that Jesus wants to make very clear in his final words around the table is how loved they are. He had said Abide in my love. But he also says, the Father loves you. The Father, who, for the people of God, who had followed God for all time, I mean, they, they had known this distance with the Father. This tabernacle, this temple, where there was a separation between God. Jesus brings up this word, love. The Father loves you. And they are left with this message of the Father's love for them. And it's not until Jesus gets really concrete that the disciples say, oh, now you're making sense. Jesus says in verse 28, I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I am leaving the world, and I am going to the Father. And then they're like, oh, okay, that makes more sense. You've come from the Father, and now you're going back to the Father. Now we get it. Now they understand. And he's like, finally, in the last paragraph of my big speech here, finally you're getting it. And they do. They finally get that Jesus is going somewhere. He's come from the Father, and he's going somewhere. So now Jesus has this final this final little thing that he says to them, where he tells them more explicitly what's going to happen. These disciples, these friends who are sitting around the table, who he's been teaching, he says, take courage. The hour is coming, he says in verse 32. The hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered. 
each one to his home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have said this to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you face persecution, but take courage, I have conquered the world. Okay, so a few things here. I mean, this, is, this all happens. So in verse 32, he says, you're going to be scattered You're going to go to your own homes because as soon as Jesus is crucified, they are afraid. They run. And in that holy Saturday moment where Jesus has not yet risen from the dead, they are hiding. They are hiding behind locked doors. Each one hunkering down, hoping that they will not be the next one killed. They will be scattered. And there's another scattering that is going to happen as well. And it's this. In verse 33, it says, I have said this to you so that you may have peace. In the world, you face persecution, but take courage. So the persecution that happens, do you know the story of Stephen? In Acts, there's this story. There were these, um, so as the early church began to flourish, all of the followers of Jesus shared everything they had. No one was amassing wealth for themselves. Everything they had, they had in common. No one was needy. No one was hungry. That's what what our text says in Acts. It says it in multiple places. And, um, And they were so generous that their numbers were being added to daily. And the disciples were filled with this power and people were being healed. And so like every day, it feels like if you read the book of Acts, it's like every day, 3,000 more people are coming to be followers of Jesus. It's just really incredible. Um, And if you're going to read Acts, I recommend just reading like large chunks at a time because it is a very exciting story. But one of the things that happens is there are these these widows, these women who have have significant need um, because of the the rules, the laws of their land, women not being landowners. Um, if, if, a, if a woman lost her husband and her sons, she did not have the money to be able to provide for herself. And so there were these widows that were in really significant need. And so what the disciples decide is like, okay, there's actually, there's a disparity. Food is being distributed to the Hebrew women, but not to the Hellenist women, the Greek women. Um, and probably some racism there, honestly. Um, but so what the disciples decide is we actually need to appoint seven people who will make sure that all of these women are cared for, that these women, their needs are met, that they are provided for regardless of the laws of their land, that these women are well served by the church. And so these seven are appointed. Stephen is the one that we know the best. Well, um, there's some, some false testimony that is stirred up against him. And he ends up giving this like strong, impassioned speech. And ultimately it ends with him being killed. He's, he, they're throwing stones at him, rocks at him, and this is how he's killed. Well, what ends up happening after the death of Stephen, one of these ones who was committed to feeding the women, what ends up happening is there's this scattering of the church, whereas one of the things Jesus says, right, as he's ascending into heaven, he says, um, and now the gospel is going to spread from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And what happens right here is that, um, is that we see this very thing happen. In Acts 8, 1 through 3, it says, that day, and this is the day that Stephen was killed, that day a severe persecution 
began against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the countryside of Judea and Samaria. So all of these followers of Jesus, where we had had 3,000 and now 5,000 and all these thousands of people who were following Jesus, now everyone left Jerusalem. They scattered. And this is how the gospel is spread to us. This is what God uses. God uses this horrible thing to spread the gospel message near and far. This persecution, that day a severe persecution began against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the countryside of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul, who becomes Paul, was ravaging the church by entering house after house, dragging off both men and women. He committed them to prison. So whereas Jesus ascended into heaven and now there, there was this flourishing of the church and people were being added to and people were being fed and miracles were happening, all of a sudden the tide turns and now Christians are being killed and persecuted and they scatter. Jesus told them they would be scattered. They would have persecution. And what does he say to do? He says, have courage, have courage because I have conquered or I have overcome the world. This is not the end of the story. Take courage. Do not be worried for yourselves. Keep going and keep going with what? Not taking out your sword like Peter did, but with great love, with bearing fruit, with abiding in me, with serving others. Live out the way of Jesus even when you are persecuted. Live out the way of Jesus. It's gonna get hard. Jesus is saying at this dinner table, it's gonna get hard, but you must hold firm to the way of Jesus, the way of Jesus that embraces love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It's not a time for pulling out your sword. It's not a time for rising up against Rome. It is a time for serving your neighbor, for feeding the hungry. It is a time for walking in the ways of Jesus' great love. 